0: one. And we'll see if I can preach with a handheld mic because I'm not used to that. So um, I think we'll do okay though. I think we'll do okay. Yes, we're glad to have visitors here tonight. Um, I was, this week I was challenged. Um, I was talking to a man, a uh, guy we're working for, and he is uh, caught in a belief system in which you're trying to live in the old covenant. They keep all of the law the dietary laws. He's not Seventh Day at Venice, but um, and I had this question because it, it kind of bears to what uh, this morning, Dad. So you know what I'm going to preach on. And Tara is sitting there next to Simon, and Mom heard her. I know Jesus. <laughs> and I was thinking about that because we were talking with this guy. and He's a nice man. I, I like. I like him. And I'm talking to him, and and um, I, I ask him this question, and I'll, I'll pose it to us too. If you keep all of the law and and you're sufficient in all of those things let's just say now going forward this might now isn't it yeah let's try the black um if you keep all of the law it's on there we go and from this moment forward we're not dealing with any more sin we're just talking about from here forward and you you don't eat certain things and, and you don't murder anybody you don't bear false witness. You have no other gods, and you aren't worshiping um, Baal or any other things. But somehow, in the midst of all of this, you don't come up with Jesus. Have you been successful? And so then I, I take that to New Testament. Then, if we understand doctrine, and we've got Pentecost, and we've got um, the the do's and the don'ts, and we've got our order of the way that we do service or don't, whatever church you're in, and somehow we don't get Jesus in that. Do we really have anything? And so we can get all of this understanding. We can, we can understand how, how things should function. We can have our beliefs about how things should work. But the ultimate thing we must get is Christ. And so the, the effort, this is what the apostle said. He said, I labor, at, like a woman who's travailing in birth, I labor until Christ be formed in you. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the years, Dad, that you've done that. Um, you come here long enough, you're, you're going to hear the same. It's not the same message. It's not regurgitated. It's just a different angle on the same message, which is Christ. Paul said, I choose to preach Christ and him crucified among you. Amen. And we're thankful for that. I've got to get here and turn this screen so it doesn't shut off on me. Um, so the, the other thing is, I want to say before I get started, and you can open your Bibles to the book of Second Kings in the sixth chapter. Second Kings chapter 6. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to say this: that um, next week, being that a lot of times on Wednesday, I don't know what we're doing, Dad. Were you planning on having Wednesday service the night before Thanksgiving? I just didn't know because I I was going to take the time. Yeah, usually we don't. So good. So then Sunday, we're going to go have service. We're going to go eat, and we're going to come back in here, and. I want you to muster up a testimony a Thanksgiving. Because if you haven't been able to testify about the Lord in a year, it's a good time. And we've always been pretty good about that. But I've, I, one thing I have noticed is since we've got in this place, it used to be when I mean, we were in California, we'd take 15, 20 minutes sometimes in testimony. You're almost going, well, we've got to move on. We've got too many testimonies tonight. And uh, sometimes we can get a little quiet. And I want to make sure that we're giving the Lord. And I've, I've got a message already. It's going to spin off of where we're at tonight. But I just want to share something quickly and then we're going to I'm not going to make anybody do that. But I just feel like the Lord would have us to to say thanks for where he's brought us. Amen. How many are thankful for what the Lord's done in your life? Uh, I'm thankful. So what I read here in the book of Second Kings, I know this is weird because I took a text out of the Old Testament, which is not common for me. I I get it from my dad. So you'll have to forgive me. Second Kings, chapter six, I don't read the first seven verses. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elijah, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered and said, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them, and when they had come to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore, he said, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it Lord, to ask you tonight that you would anoint me. I know you have laid this upon my heart, God, but I pray that you would anoint me, God, to be able to deliver what you have placed. God, I pray that you would bless your people, that you would speak to our hearts according to your word and you would cause us to be moved and changed by your word toward us, Jesus. And we give you the praise and everybody say, amen. I'm going to spin-off of a title that I don't usually give titles, but I, th- I want you to think about it this week as you're thinking about your praise, your thanksgiving. Spin-off a title that Dad has been using a little bit lately in his favorite song. But I want to talk to you about a place the place to find what is lost. The place to find what is lost. So I, it is believed that possibly Samuel had established these schools of the prophets, we don't know exactly. It's talked about in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. You see this terminology. It's not really used anywhere else, but in, in these two books we see this used. Uh, apparently they existed at both Bethel and Jericho, it's supposed. Um, they be, we believe that this probably this passage of Scripture was happening at Jericho because of its proximity to Jordan. The schools were supposed to be training centers, for prophetic ministry, and when their leader or prophet would die, then the community of prophets or the guild of prophets would then elect the next prophet. But before we get too excited about this whole concept, I want you to think about BSSM, Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. You know, we all we all know what that's about. I don't know about the Oklahoma people because we lived right next to it. The school of the prophets. The problem that I've got with the school of the prophets is that I am struggling to find where even one of these prophets of the sons of the prophets was selected by God to the office of an Old Testament prophet. I don't see it. In fact, in the book of Amos, in the seventh chapter, Amos will say, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. He didn't come from the order of the prophets. And we've got this school that's been set up. And, and, you know, I've thought about that a lot. Now, we're going to obviously cover ground with all of the thoughts that we have. We all share like-mindedness. And so we're going to cover ground. But I've thought a lot about how that God uses people who are hungry and willing to do his work. And it really doesn't matter where you've been trained. Training is not the the prequalifier to use in the kingdom of God. And so of all of the sons of the prophets that we see here in the second book of Kings, in the sixth chapter, I struggle to find anywhere where God used a single one of them. None of the minor prophets, none of the major prophets came out of this group of the sons of the prophets. God does not select ministry by birthright. He does not select ministry by election. This is why you'll never see an election in this church. We're not going to elect a single person to a single position. This is why you will never see a board in this church. Because that is laity rule. It's not set down by God. God does not operate in that manner. And everybody say amen. Amen. Imagine people sitting around and voting on the will of the Lord for his body. Just think about that concept for a minute. How is it possible that we could sit here and vote on God's will for this church? And I I think about this often because we couldn't sit down and all agree on one meal that we would all eat. Some of you are gluten free. Some of you are sugar free. I'm extra gluten personally. We, we couldn't agree on what to sit down and eat. We can't even agree on all going to Brahms tonight, frankly. But somehow we're going to come together and vote on the will of God for his people? I mean, this is just a foreign thought. And, and the thought then comes up, well, the pastor has too much power then. Well, this church is not going to operate under the power structure of the world. No church should. It's funny because when you look at church history, and Dad and I have both liked that, and I know Dustin does too, and when you look at church history, you're going to find that very frequently, almost always, whatever the country of that church is, that, that church, the, the major church of the country begins to look exactly like the government of that country. It operates exactly as the government operates within that country. So election doesn't happen in countries of dictatorship. Election happens in America, where everybody's voice is heard, and we argue over what toilet paper to buy for the church bathroom. That's the stuff that, that pastor saw growing up. And I remember I was a young man when, when dad planted this church, and we've never you've never gone down that road. I remember somebody coming to him when we were doing discipleship and saying, Pastor, I don't want any of my money going to word discipleship. And dad said what he should have told him was, we're going to use your money for toilet paper. We're not getting the direction of the Lord for the body, his body, by voting, by birthright, by man of God syndrome. That isn't it. We're going to operate under the... Uh, according to the Scripture, under the direction and leadership which comes from pastors. And of course there's going to be transparency. Just like we did the other night, we sit everybody down and say, this is where we're at. This is where the finances of the church are. This is the plans. But we're not taking a vote on whether to pour concrete in the shed. It needs to be done. Amen. And, And the reason I say that is because there's this idea that somehow... That we can orchestrate and order the things of God. So the sons of the prophets get together. And this is just beautiful. I, I, I want you to see some, some spiritual um, connotation here. The sons of the prophets get together and tell Elijah that the place where they are dwelling with him is too confined. It's too tight. The word of the Lord says it's too straight in the King James. I can see this parallel in my mind, and I'm I'm sure you can already start developing that too. It is often sons and daughters of the prophets, the ones who have been in church a long time, who have not accomplished anything or ever led anyone, who have a lot to say about the placement and the condition of ministry. It's often where it comes from. I've grown up around church enough to know that it's often the people who do the least amount of praying and are the least attached to the direction and the function of the body who have the most to say about what is going on. The sons. They're not prophets. It's clear. It says they are the sons of prophets. They're just prophets in training have decided that Elijah has not given them enough room. That their place isn't big enough. That he is putting them in too tight of quarters. Now, I can find nothing. This is an interesting passage of Scripture because it's kind of thrown in here in the middle, and I believe it's this this spiritual prophetic insight into our time. I really do believe that. Because it goes right back out of the story in the 8th verse and it doesn't even tie in. I mean, it just, just really doesn't tie in at all. But uh, it's them that come to, them and to Elijah and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't big enough for us. They've not done anything. It doesn't say Elijah had asked them to follow him. Just like Elijah did not ask Elisha to follow him. We don't find where Elisha said, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you all how to be prophets. I want you all to come come stay with me and I want you to do what I've told you to do. Um, We don't find that. What we find is that they've come. I don't know why, but they're there. And they've decided in the middle of this that there's not room for them. Not enough place. So they ask ask Elijah to go cut wood with them so that they can make their own place there is what the scripture says. Now, commentators are going to give all kinds of ideas, and nobody really knows, but it, it's apparent to me <laughs> that that they are trying to get into a position at least where they are not any longer under his roof. Everybody could follow that and say amen. They just feel like that his roof isn't big enough. And um, if you don't know this, you should. Just because leadership doesn't stop you from doing what you're doing doesn't mean it's a good idea. Everybody say amen. I remember. I'm going to share some, a, few, a few things tonight because I think about them. And they are things that, that stick out. There, there are times in ministry in 27 years now that, that I've been in ministry. Many of the first ones I'm struggling to remember now as I get older. But there are times that stick out. And I remember one of them, a young woman had come to dad and said, I'm going to Australia. Okay, I don't know what the answer is supposed to be. I'm going to Australia, and I'm going to a Bible school there. And Dad said, "Okay." She said, "I need you." I was sitting there. I need you to sign the paper saying, "I, you know, you're my pastor," saying I can go. I have to sign Colton a paper for him for playing football. That he's a good kid. I, I don't know. If take my word for it. But so it, this this conversation was okay. Hey, Elijah, we don't think that we've got enough room with you. We're going to go down and cut some trees. Okay. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> well, you didn't tell me no. So it comes out later that, that. Um, and I, I teased out. This is one of the things I say to him often. You know, the problem with him is he just tells people to go to Australia and it doesn't work out good. That person goes and, the, and they're at the Hillsong thing, and, and there, there's a bunch of lesbian type stuff going on, and same sex holding hands and kissing, and, and they're like, oh my goodness, I gotta get out of here, and then blamed him because they went. Now, this is exactly the picture that we are seeing here with Elijah. Elijah did not tell them to go cut trees down and make their own place. They came to him and said, We're tired of being under your constraints. It's too tight. Now we are going to go do some things on our own. And he says, go. It reminds me again of when Judas comes to Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says what? Go do what you've got to do and do it quickly. Just go do it. Nobody is trying to control anybody's life in this place. Let's be really clear. What we hope to develop, which we have, and we hope to continue to develop in this body, is an accountability of love and concern and investment and involvement in each other, but never constraint and force. There's no desire for that. So just because Elijah is going along with them doesn't mean his direction is leading them. If Elijah thought, hey, you need your own dwelling then I would have supposed that he would have collected some axes and he would have distributed me have called them in as we would do when we did discipleship. Come on in. We got some things to talk about. And Brandon was talking about it the other day, the, the white board and dad put the Mickey Mouse hands on the board. Jacob remember that. So will Mandy. I'm sure she's with the baby and Morgan. We had prayer at 8 o'clock every morning and sometimes we were running a little late getting to prayer. So dad put the, drew a little Mickey Mouse in the middle and the hands when they lined up. That's when you need to be there. So I suppose we, had a, we weren't doing a school of ministry. We were doing a school of idiocy. We are trying to get a bunch of idiots to figure out how to live for Jesus. It's a, a mess. And so I would have supposed, though, that if Elijah had something, an idea like this, that he would have got some axes together and he'd have had them leaning up against the wall and said, now, boys, i got some things that I want to teach you today. Today, I'm going to teach you how to go down to Jordan and cut some trees and make yourself a house. He didn't do that because it wasn't his plan. He didn't seem to think that they needed to get out from under him. <laughs> and that, that's happened so often. I know you're, you're thinking, oh, man, I can see a lot. of Oh, yeah, it's here. There's a lot of stuff here. This idea that we don't need direction. We don't need leadership. So I want to talk to you a minute about the axe head. To me, this is pretty clear that it represents the same thought as the Logos of God in in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, where it says that the Logos of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And what this word really means when it says axe head is it means a sharpened piece of iron. Now, obviously, we understand when you're going to cut down a tree, you don't use a sword. You're going to use an axe. But I, I believe the sharpness that we find When when it's talking about sharpness and quickness in the Scripture, it is talking about the Logos of God. I think it's always a picture of that. Now, what is the Logos of God? The Logos of God is not words in a book. This book, just if you open this this Bible, you're going to find it is full of what we would call rhema, which is the Bible school down there in Tulsa. Now, you're not going to find that in here, but you're going to find that word rhema, which is written word or even spoken word word this is the Rama of god but from within the the rhema of god we find the logos of god which is more akin to where david would say god teach me your precepts it's the reason behind the words it's not the words themselves because we can frankly find words to justify whatever behavior we want to do amen We can find words in the Scripture to justify drinking. We just went through this the other day. We were talking about that. We can justify, hey, God gave you all the plants and the herbs. Smoke pot. I mean, you can find anything that you want to find if you just take words. But then the logos of God, the reason by which he spoke, the reason for the words themselves, the driving point, this is what is represented by the acts. And the scripture in John 1 says, and that logos, that concept, that logic, or that reason of God became flesh and dwelled among us, and that is Christ. So when we think of this acts, I want you to think of Christ. In fact, the scripture says in the New Testament that the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, which is literally talking about Jesus bringing down the Old Testament system. The Jewish system is coming down. And who's it coming down by? The Logos of God, the Christ, the God manifested in the flesh. So when we think about this axe head, I want you to think about that in that way. It's quick. It's powerful. So now you've got a bunch of immature, underdeveloped children of ministers who've never done anything, busting out with energy and vigor as they see the opportunity to build their own place. Let me give you a sign that you are not ready to make your own place. When you have to borrow an axe because you don't own one, Yourself. You have no business making your own way. So many people today, so many churches today, they're making their own way. A lot of pastors have come up. A lot of young preachers have come up and they're making their own way. But they're making it on a borrowed revelation of Christ. They're making it on something that they don't possess but they've stole it or they've used it. They've borrowed it from the the predecessors. And, And we've shared this many times, but I stood in a conference where dad and I had preached and a man got up who I respected and he preached about the lines drawn by God that keep us hemmed in, that keep us walking upright. And the next sermon, his son got up and said, we will not honor the lines of the last generation. And he surrendered his church To his son. But his son's just got a borrowed axe. His son doesn't own an axe. His son didn't pave the way. In fact, his son has brought in this whole BLM culture and a lot of wokeness to the church. And now they're they're celebrating this complete worldly ideology and and they're tatted tatted up. And man, you know, whatever you did in your past, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about since he's come to the Lord, it's just this worldly mess. Because he's got a borrowed axe. He doesn't own the, the, the concepts or the logos of God for himself, but he borrowed it from his father to make his own way. That's why there's so much apostasy in the church. If you are current on Christian culture, you're going to find so many of the men who blazed trails for Christ years ago Their sons have now taken over their ministries and are completely nuts. Think of Andy Stanley. Anybody remember Charles Stanley? The old bastion, beacon of virtue, fundamental teaching. His son is absolutely pro-homosexual, gay-affirming, everything woke you can imagine. I can't remember the pastor's first name, but Young was his name. And his son came in, Ed Young, and he took a whole different spin, took it to a whole different level. All he wanted to talk about is sex and relationship. Didn't want to talk about Christ. And this happens over and over and over and over because the sons often are not wielding an axe that they own, but they're walking in an area of borrowed relationship, borrowed revelation of Christ. When you think that the place where men of God have labored to see Christ formed in you and your children is too confining, you are swinging a borrowed axe. If you can't recognize the fact that Elijah allowed you to come in his house paying for you to eat, made the way for you to be provided for, and is trying to pour out into your life. If you can't see that, you're borrowing the axe. You're nowhere near ready to blaze your own trail. But even worse than a borrowed axe is a brittle handle. A borrowed axe, it it can knock down some things. You can get somewhere with a borrowed axe. But when you take a borrowed axe and you couple it with a brittle handle, you've got a recipe for disaster in your life. A brittle handle is always on a borrowed axe because it is a connection that is not solidly built on your connection to Christ and His body. As long as you're borrowing the axe, the handle is always brittle. I got two chainsaws and one of you yahoos comes up and doesn't know how to run a chainsaw, you say, hey, can I borrow a chainsaw? I'm not giving you my good chainsaw. I'm going to give you the one that when you blow it up, when the axe handle breaks, well, at least it wasn't my best one. It's always a borrowed axe that has a brittle handle. There are a lot of things that can cause us to swing the brittle handle of a borrowed act. Pride, ego, dad talked about last week, can cause us to think that the knowledge that we have to build our own place is sufficient. I see this happen often. Austin sees this happen often in construction. I remember... um, Steve Woods, the cabinet maker, we installed cabinets for Steve, and Austin worked for Steve for a while. He had a woman come in. He said, well, he told us, he said, DIY network and home and garden television is ruining our society. He said, I had this woman come in the other day, and she said, I don't want a vanity made for my bathroom. And uh, it's going to be four foot by, you know, two foot, and a sink, and these certain drawers, and these certain doors, and And so on and so forth. And so he said, okay. He took down the, the, drew the dimensions, kind of drew it up how she wanted. Said, it's going to cost this much. And she said, okay, sounds good. And sat down. And he looked at her and waited for her to leave. And she didn't leave. And finally, he said, can I help you, ma'am? And she said, oh, I'll wait. There's this misconception about buildings. And she is the kind of woman who's going to think she knows how. You know, I, you may not know how to pour concrete, but if you watch one episode of HGTV, you haven't figured it out. Austin and Coop been working for a lady who thinks she knows how to build and she has no clue how to build. But I see this happen a lot. Just because, because someone religiously watches home improvement programs They think that they possess a master's degree in house flipping and building. They ignore or circumvent the counsel and advice of men with decades of experience because one time they put together a doghouse. You you don't think this is true. This is absolutely true. It happens all the time. I show up on a job and I'm like, man, I wouldn't do it that way. Oh, this is the right way to do it. Yes, sir. Gladly we'll do it that way. Because you built a doghouse. Pride is a flimsy handle because it causes people to detach from the body, to refuse ministry, to resist corporate prayer because they know better. My difficulty, and I think about this in the sense of building, my difficulty is not the person that I show up on the job and they say, man, I don't have a clue, just I need this done. You tell me how it needs to go. My problem is the job I show up on with the person who knows just a little bit. And then they're worried about what PSI, what slump of the concrete. Am I using four inch forms or the actual only three and a half? When I get that question, I'm pretty much on my way out the door. It's a borrowed axe. A borrowed axe is that I'm not working with anyone. I'm not allowing leadership, direction, ministry, input, conviction, uh, accountability. I'm not allowing any of that. Because I know better. Because I've got it figured out. And this is a borrowed axe. It's a flimsy handle. It's not a positive connection to the Logos of Christ. Second thing, and there's quite a few, but I'm going to give you three. The second thing that is a brittle handle on a borrowed axis, trauma. I mean real trauma that has happened in your life. Maybe to you in church. I'm not talking about some fake drama queen, poor me, imagined abuse. I'm talking about real abuse. Real physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. It can leave people flinching for fear even when a brother or sister is just trying to open their arms in fellowship. I remember we were playing softball and Heather caught one off the shin. And for a long time, years after that, if Austin, which he throws as hard as he can from shortstop every time, if Austin threw that ball anywhere near that leg, She's doing that every time. Why? Trauma. It's a natural reaction. When you've been been hurt, your natural reaction is is to guard against that hurt area. And this is a very real problem within this whole borrowed axe head idea because it causes us to distrust it causes us to swing a handle that is flimsy and we don't even realize it. We don't realize that we don't have this positive connection. We don't realize that we've separated, that we don't allow anybody to come and help us. And the scripture says it's not good for man to be alone, but that we should every joint supply, every ligament supplying, that we're all parts of one body. But when you have trauma to a certain part of your body, sensitivity develops. Makes you afraid of contact. It makes you afraid of, of authentic care because you think, man, this, this isn't real. This is just another person trying to get one over on me. This is a real issue that happens. There have been a lot of people who have been truly hurt, truly are broken. There are a lot of people who are truly broken by things that happen in church. I'm not talking about feelings getting hurt. I'm talking about sexual abuse by leadership. Affairs by pastors that destroys their trust and belief and even the system of, of God's design of fivefold ministry. Actual, real bitterness and hatred and abuse that happens. And, and these things can become so difficult. I remember when I first started youth pastoring and I had such a good life growing up. and No, no life is perfect, but my, my mom and dad were so invested in us and loved us and... We had some kids coming that we were trying to reach. And, and the one kid, I just remember, he was so hard. He was so, every time I would just try to, try to even be nice to him. It was just the he tried to act like a thug, which never, I like, I don't like that anyway. That just bothers me. You're, you're not hard. Knock it off. You grew up in Cottonwood. You're not hard. And that's like growing up in Ch- Chelsea for you, Oklahoma. You're not hard. You're, just a, you're a country boy. Stop acting like a gangster. I didn't like it, but I didn't understand what his problem was. And I remember just being aggravated. Like every time I try to reach out and, and, and even be um, a positive thing in his life, I'm not telling him what to do, just trying to put my arm around him. And he just, man, he's stiff-arming me, and, and it just aggravated me. And, and it took me some time to realize that I didn't understand the trauma of his life. I didn't understand the mistrust because I only had people around me I could trust. Trauma makes us walk alone in pain rather than risk further abuse. It's a borrowed axe. It's a weak connection to Christ. Where we miss the love, the support, the strength, and the direction of his body. And the third thing that is a very brittle handle on a borrowed axe is bitterness. We've heard about this over the last little bit. The Lord's been trying to speak to us in this area. And I think it's because there is no greater threat to us as as sold out Christians. The devil's not going to get you to, to go out and become a drunk. The devil's not going to get you to go out and become a a drug addict. He's not going to likely get you. Uh, We we have such great accountability. We talk about this with the the men and women where we're we're very close. He's not likely going to get you to run off and have an affair. But where he has an avenue in every single one of our lives is bitterness. Surely will cause us to lose the cutting edge of Christ in our life it will cause us to look at lifelong examples of Christ and only see errors. Bitterness will make us trust in brittle friendships over proven leadership. Bitterness will make us trust in unproven ministry out of spite for proven ministry. I'm going to give you an example, and I won't say names, but I'm going to give you an example of how ridiculously far bitterness will take you. And this is not a very old example. When we were in California, there was a family who would not allow their their daughter specifically, but their children really to ever hardly go to people's houses because they were worried about the possibility that they could be abused or molested. And out of bitterness, took their children, they jumped headlong into a church, which really is a cult, and put their children in the school in the lap of proven, verified Pedophilia. Why? Bitterness. That's why. 100% bitterness. This is what happens when we lose proper evaluation of our circumstances. And there are people all over. All over. One of the things I always respected Aaron and Susan for. When Aaron and Susan came to our church, they left the church they were in. I never heard them in 20 years say a negative word about that pastor. I don't believe they left out of bitterness. I believe they left because they were just not being fed. And they felt like it was somewhere they needed to be. But I respected Brother Aaron so much for that because, listen, I remember we went to a church in paradise and, and uh, Brother Grandy was his name. And I remember he said something. I've shared this before, but it has always stuck in my heart. He said he was really aggravated. I believe it was Church of God was what he was with. And he said he was really aggravated with the leadership of the Church of God. They were with the organization. And he said, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm not having anything to do with this anymore. And the Lord spoke to him and said, rebellion is always wrong. You can have a lot of good reasons. You can feel like you're vindicated and justified, but bitterness and rebellion is always wrong. It's never right, and and too often, I, I, again, I've seen this, and I'm finishing. I'm I'm hurrying toward the finish line anyway. I've seen this happen so many times. I see people who leave churches. Uh, We had a group that left our church, and the the uniting factor of leaving our church was 20-something years ago, the only time we really had a church split. The uniting factor of leaving our church was hatred for the ministry. You can only unite under hate so long. That only works so long, and then it all falls apart, and you start hating each other. (laughs) That's just the reality of it. But bitterness is a brutal taskmaster. It's a, bitter, it's, a, it's a brittle handle on a borrowed axe. You can feel like that you're doing something for the Lord. You can feel as though you're making headway. You're making your own place. Man, I don't need this, this group of people. I don't need any church. I know people like that. I don't need any church. I've got to relate. Me and God, we got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all figured out. I know people like that. They're the most spiritually messed up, immature. I don't know if they're Christians or not, because I can't judge. I don't know if they're going to heaven or not. I'm concerned. But I've never seen that work out. And pride can be that handle that connects you to Christ. And you think you're making headway, and you're chopping along, and everything's going good. Trauma's got you connected. Uh, Bitterness has got you connected. And it feels like you're making headway, and things haven't fallen apart yet. And I have watched time and again. Those handles will never hold that axe head. It's just a matter of time. I remember sitting in the office when a family who was trying to cover some sinful condition in their life sat in front of my dad and my dad said, don't do what you're going to do. Because if you do this, your children will be lost. And the man laughed in dad's face and said, this will never happen to me. And it exactly happened as it was said. Why? Pride and bitterness. You can swing a borrowed axe for a while. And it might seem like a good idea. But when you borrow something, it's just a matter of time before it breaks. I remember Dad has shared that when he was a young guy, they were broke, poor as Job's turkey. Somebody asked me what that means. It means poor. Didn't have anything, had to borrow a weed eater from Grandpa. And he said he got that thing home, He pulled that, I think it was a weed eater, right? It was a lawnmower, weed eater, yeah. Pulled that cord one time and it started up and it started a sputtering and spitting. He said he shut that thing off, ran it back over to grandpa and and left it there. And a couple days later, grandpa started that thing and fell apart. He said, man, that weed eater, just no good. And dad said, "Huh? wow, I don't know. You borrow something, it's just a matter of time before it breaks. I don't like to borrow from my dad. I just go buy it. Dad always said, man, you borrow it. You're going to have to go buy it anyway. But then you've got to go buy it for the guy you borrowed it from. I'll just buy it and own it. I don't want to have to buy it for somebody else. It's just a matter of time. You can't swing a borrowed axe head very long before it breaks. The handle's always br- brittle because it's borrowed. It really doesn't matter how you got where you're at. Pride, trauma, bitterness, or a number of other things, the fact that Christ, I've shared this many times, Dad kind of alluded to to it today, that that when I was growing up in the the holiness church that we had grown up in, and all of the wild stuff, the running around, the rolling in the floor, all of that stuff that I had seen my whole life, I never was given Christ, and therefore I was swinging a borrowed I didn't know I didn't know the Lord. And it hits me at about 16 and a half years old. I don't even know who Jesus is. And what's worse is I don't know how to find him. I don't know how to live for him. I don't know how to change my situation. There's a number of things. And if Christ has never been delivered to our lives, or we've grown up in a, in a lot of dysfunction. and We've got to work through a lot of issues. And maybe we start going along. And then before too long, we get sideways with our thoughts. There's all kinds of things. But it doesn't really matter how you got to where you're at. Now you stand looking over the banks of the river trying to figure out where the axe head went. I lost Christ in this thing, and I don't know how to find him. You ever felt that way? You just get in the middle of the whole thing and say, I, got lo- I lost what I, what I had and I don't even know where to find it. I don't know what to do. If Christ has been given to me that investment, that talent that has been given by the Lord into my life and I've lost it, I'm in trouble. And this dude cries out to Elisha and says, Master, I lost the axe head. I don't know what to do. It's borrowed. It's not even mine. And I don't know how to get it back. We're not talking about a little puddle. We're talking about a river. It's completely covered up. I, don't, I saw it go somewhere. Now you stand and you've lost the joy of Jesus. And you've lost the peace of Jesus. And you've lost the strength of Jesus. And you've lost the fulfillment of Jesus. And there's a couple of things... That you've got to do. Get a man of God. That's the first thing. God has designed that ministry will always be a part of restoring what is lost. It's God's design, not mine. I'm going to come to Jesus and I don't want to have anything to do with the fivefold ministry. NERP! Not happening. I want to circumvent the process. Hey, <laughs> I can just see Elijah. I don't know in my mind. I see funny things. I can see Elijah sitting back and watching this thing and just shaking his head. You bunch of knuckleheads. Get out here. You're going to make your own way. You're going to do your own thing. You're not taking any counsel from me because I tell you, you shouldn't be borrowing axe heads that you can't afford to replace. And now you're out here and you've lost what you had. Somewhere in the process, you've lost it. And I've got the answer, but all you've got to do is just come to me. God's process always involves ministry in our lives. Not because they're so godly. Not because pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers are superior. But because they know the right handle that fits the axe head. That's why. Not because we're better, not because we're superior, not because we're more important, but because I know how to shape an axe handle that will go into that head. The second thing is you got to get to the place where you lost it. Where did you lose sight? Jesus. I know this is crazy. It's not like, man, we're preaching to a bunch of people that we've, we all know where we're at. No, no, no. I don't want you to think that way. Where did you lose it? We go through life and, and we're living our thing and we're doing our thing and we can love the Lord with all of our heart and all of a sudden realize, where did that axe head go? I lost my cutting edge. I lost the Logos of God that was working in me, that was shaping me. And I stopped letting that happen. He's trying to whittle down on me and, and form me into his image. And somewhere, I don't know where, but he's, he's not around anymore. you got to get back to the place where you lost it. The first place to look is the last place you saw him. That's the first place. So I, I don't know. Well, I want you to thank. I, I, really, I really do. I want you to thank for a moment. I want you to thank in your own life. Is there something that you have had of Christ that now becomes lost? Maybe you haven't lost Him altogether, but just think with me. Just expand your faith for a second. Is there something that you've had of Christ that somewhere along the way has been lost? Where did you lose it? What got in the way? Of you being able to see him. There's a lot of things that are in the way of this man. Son of the prophet. There's a lot of things. His brittle handle made it fly off. The, the distance he is from it. The water itself. His inability to breathe underwater. All of these things are inhibiting him. And there's all kinds of things that come up in our lives. That begin to get in the way of us being able to see Jesus, retrace your steps. When was the last time you trusted him? When did you stop trusting him? When did you stop being being content with him? When did you stop seeing him as your sufficiency? When did you stop rejoicing in him? Completely. When did you allow the cares of this life to become more important and create issues between you and him? You've got to retrace the steps. Because what we want to do is we want to just move on. But I, I don't want to get away from the place that I lost him and think that somewhere down the road I'll just get a different axe. Because the same reason why I lost him to begin with is the reason why I'll lose the next axe. Until I save up the money to buy the good axe, to buy the treasure hidden in the field, to buy the pearl of great price for myself, I'm always swinging a borrowed axe, and the borrowed axe is always going to break. It's not trustworthy. And so until I figure out where I lost him, there's no need for me to leave here. I assume that this son of the prophet is poor. He probably, he's, he's in ministry school. He isn't, wealthy and doesn't have much and so he's just devastated because how in the world is he gonna pay back the guy he borrowed this from who probably didn't have a lot of extra access to lend out. This is where we find ourselves so often with the Lord. I gotta get back to the place where I could last see him clearly. Where was that? Where was that, Lord? That place where it was just me and you. A place where I was fully connected. Where I could feel your spirit moving in my heart. Where I rejoiced in your house and in your things. Being in your presence was what I wanted more than anything. Where where is that, Lord? How do I get back to that place? And the third thing is you've got to reach out And take a hold of the axe again. A good minister of God knows how to whittle down the handle that fits into the axe head. A lot of ministers today might give you an inner tube and some arm floaties and see if you can swim out and find the axe head. But godly ministers of the kingdom can throw a stick into the water and bring Jesus right to you. Bring the truth. Tonight, I know I'm preaching to so many of us that, that we say, yeah, I understand that, but man, the Lord has... I literally even wrestled with God. and said, Lord, I don't know. It just sounds like something that we probably already know, but I felt so strongly in my spirit. I am trying to throw a stick into that river and bring Jesus up to where you can take a hold of him tonight. That's my job. It's my duty. And I don't care if you've taken hold of him many times before. I don't care if you think you've already secured the axe. You've got to reach out and take that thing up. Elijah doesn't go get it out of the water for him and say, hey, I'll take it back. I'm going to take it back to the guy for you now. He says, you reach out and take a hold of it. And the scripture says that he reached out and took it up with his hand. Now I will say this while we know most everybody here really closely, I do not know the issues of your heart. But the Lord does. Tonight, I felt I don't always do this. I don't often do this. But I felt the Lord prompt me to say to you tonight, there is healing for your life It's in the water. I'm throwing the stick out. And Jesus is coming right up to you. And the question is. Will you reach out and take a hold of him? We used to sing an old song that said reach out. And touch the Lord as he passes by. You'll find He's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He is passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as He goes by. How long, the Lord says, how long do you expect me to sit in front of you before you reach out and take a hold of that axe again? And I just want to ask you tonight, if you feel that prompting of the Lord, I want you just to lift your hand as though you're taking hold of something. And I want you to reach your hand out. I want you to take a hold of that axe handle. Say, Lord, you're here. God, you're here. You're here to fix. God, Jesus, you're here to bring back what I've lost. I'm not looking for finances. I've lost some of those, and some of them come back and lost more. I'm not looking for healing, Lord. In my body, although I I could use it at times, Jesus, but I need to take a hold of you right now, in this moment, right here, Jesus. You've come up near. Lord, and I reach out and I touch you tonight. I reach out to you, Jesus. You're really all I need. You have every answer. You hold the words of eternal life. God, and I reach out to you right now. I reach out to you right now, Lord. I need you desperately, Jesus. I'm coming to you, Lord. If you feel it, why don't you stand up and lift your hands to him and say, Lord, receive me. God, I'm taking a hold of you. Would you receive me, Jesus? Jesus. Would you receive me, Jesus? I surrender, Lord. I surrender. Oh, Lord, I surrender.